three verses in Romans chapter number 8. It's an interesting story that we're going to read here in 2 Kings chapter number 6. And when you find it, please stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. They'll also be putting this on the screen for us to follow. Verse number 1 says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us, or too small. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. And as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Now let's go to Romans chapter number 8 today. Romans chapter number 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. I told you all the wrong passage. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When I say I told you all, it's Romans 10, verse number 8 through 10. I was looking at that, and I was like, this is not right. <laughs> Romans chapter number 10, verse number 8. says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So just tuck that away. We're going to tie that together. And here's the title of my message today. Axe heads can float if you believe. So let's say that together again. Axe heads can float if you believe. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm honored to be in this house. I feel compelled to be here. I feel Father, uh, strengthened by the encouragement and the fellowship that I've received, the smiles, the handshakes, God, the hugs I've received from the people of God. But God, if you put a word in my heart on Friday morning, then Father, then truly you've been preparing the hearts of the people to receive this word. And I just pray that there won't be anything that can distract us from receiving the engrafted word today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. And you can be seated today. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord with me today. And I'm still, as I said each and every week, I'm grateful for a privileged opportunity. One of the verses of scripture that we could have read in this same context in Romans chapter number 10 is that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, how will they preach unless one be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. And so today, God has led you to this house because there's something that you needed in your life. God cares enough for you to be able to minister 
to the area of your life that you have need in. And you know what that need is? You need to hear the Word of God today. And so life is very distracting. There's a lot of things around us that can cause our attention to be diverted. But the, one of the greatest things, and perhaps even the greatest thing that you as a believer need in your life today is that you need to hear the Word of God. That you might have the Word of faith inside your heart and in your life. One of the things that I've found myself at recently is kind of just evaluating. Have you ever do that in your own life, just kind of evaluating who you are? And just where you just kind of stop and say, God, what, what, what exactly am I or who am I and what do I need to do and what can I do? And there's a lot of things that can be in front of you. You know, Sherry and I are at a season of our life where life is a little more fluid than it was previously. And so we have the ability to do different things than we have done in the past. And so I, I, my time is, is more available to me than it was at one particular time in our past. So I have lots of opportunities. But I start thinking about some things and I say, God, that's just not within me. It's just not something within myself. You know, I think about certain academic adventures that I could take and make. And I enjoy learning. I always want to learn. And I always want to be a student. But I didn't start the journey of formal education long years ago. And as a result, I don't have the disciplines necessary to do what some of you have done, what Jace is doing right now. I don't have those personal disciplines. But I've concluded, though, that one of the things that I can do is continue to be a student of the Word of God and learn the Word of God in the sense not just for head knowledge's sake, but that I can have an effectual working of the Word of God. The Bible says it works in me mightily. And I can be someone in my own heart and life where I can receive faith as a result of hearing the Word of God. And when I hear that word, then I can convey that same word to you in hopes that you will receive it and that faith will grow in your heart and life, right? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I want to talk about faith for just a few moments if I can. You can ask these questions. We put these down on Wednesday night in days gone by. What is it? How do you define it? I just uh, in Hebrews 11, verse number 1, is the passage that is often quoted as the, def the definition for faith. It says here from the writer's pen, faith is the substance of something that's hoped for, the things that are hoped for. And it's the evidence of things that are not seen. That's what faith is. It's the substance of the thing that I'm hoping for and I'm longing for that I don't yet possess, but what I do possess is faith. And it's the evidence of the thing that's not seen. Uh, that the thing that I'm longing for that's not in my life, you won't see it tangibly in my life, but you will see it through the evidence of faith that's in my life while I'm waiting and believing God for it. But faith is that definition, and it's much more. Faith is a belief system. Every man has the measure of faith. God's dealt to every, every man has the capacity to believe, every person, every one of us, even the atheist who is totally convinced in his heart and his mind that there is no God and there is no gospel and there is no eternity, even that man or woman has the capacity to believe. They have the ability to possess faith. Faith is not just a belief system, but also faith is believing. And believing is active. Faith is the expectation of hope. I hope for it, but by faith I believe in it. And by faith, I believe that if God promised it, I'm going to receive it. Come on, somebody. Amen. Faith is the means that you and I receive salvation. God's provided redemption through Christ. You believe that today? I believe it. My faith is in possession of it. 
God through grace has pardoned our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. And he's given us the hope of eternal life. Through faith I have access into this grace, Romans 5 says. By faith I access the grace of God. Faith is the means that I receive salvation. Faith is the means that Paul said that you and I not only receive salvation, but we receive the fruit of salvation, which is righteousness. I'm declared righteous before God right now. What does that mean? I'm in right standing with God. I'm declared justified in the eyes of God. Many of you live in the guilt of your former shame because by faith you have not recognized that God doesn't still call you a sinner, but he calls you justified in his sight through Christ. You were a sinner, but the blood of Jesus was applied on your behalf as a pardon, as redemption, or as atonement for your sin, now God's declared you justified in His sight. You're no longer guilty before God. Now, some people wrestle with this. Train your faith, develop your faith, believe it by the Word of God. I'm sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means I've been set apart. You've been set apart in the eyes of God. And yes, I have something right now in possession of me right now called eternal life. I have eternal life dwelling on the inside of my heart and soul right now. And I, what's the number of man? 70. And the scripture says God may give him 80. We live in a generation. People live into 80 and 90 occasionally. And even every now and then there's 100 years old. But by the, at the end of the day, though, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. We're all going to die. But at the same time, inside of me right now is the hope of eternal life. I possess it by faith in Christ Jesus. I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It dwells within me right now, not in the future, right? I'm in possession of it by faith right now. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, isn't it? And it's my faith that possesses that. You and I are exhorted in the Scripture to not be faithless, but to believe. The Scripture says, as I already mentioned, without faith it's impossible to please God. If you come to God, you have to believe. Did you hear that? It's not enough to just put your finest Sunday clothes on on Sunday, travel with your family, come to church, and just sit here. If you're going to approach God, you must believe. You must believe that He's God and that He's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek Him. That God is waiting for you to exhibit something right in front of Him, and that's called faith. James said that if you waver in faith you are or you are double-minded, then you are unstable in all your ways. The Bible says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Did you know the thing that, that grieved Jesus the most in his generation? Two things. Number one, first and foremost, hypocrisy. Right? That's the thing that when you read the New Testament epistles, Jesus was grieved. He was constantly reproving the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. But the second thing that we see in the Word of God that grieved Jesus was unbelief. Unbelief grieved his heart, and he would reprove it, he would correct it, and then he would give sound instruction related to it. And it didn't matter who it was, he would reprove them for their unbelief. It might be his disciples who would later become apostles who would give us the epistles and the testament that we call the New Testament, but if they, if they demonstrated unbelief in his presence, he would call them out for it right then. Because Jesus said in his own parable, he said, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find this thing right here on the earth. He said, Shall he find faith in the earth. And so we say it around here, I want to be found guilty of walking in faith. I want to be a man or woman of faith. 
There are some things that I cannot be. There are some things I cannot do, and there are some places I cannot go. But the one thing I can do is I can be a person of faith. I can be somebody that walks in faith before God. Many theologians take faith and apply it only to salvation. That's why you've got to be very careful as you study. Because the means to receiving blessing, listen to this. Many theologians take faith and only apply it to salvation, yes. But listen to this. The means of receiving blessing is the same as the means of salvation. And I want to explain that to you in just a moment. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. I was eight years old at Landmark Baptist Church at a children's church service when the children's church pastor said, would anybody like to be saved? And so I raised my little arm up, little hand up in the air. I went back with him. I sat in an old school desk on a cold, cloudy uh, winter morning. And I could remember how you could barely see the fading or the, the dim sunlight because it was cloudy coming in through the little window. And he opened to Romans chapter number 10. And he took me to this passage. He said, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shall be saved. Let me tell you what happened. That day that I put my faith, my little undeveloped nurturing faith in Jesus' atoning blood on the cross, I was instantaneously born again. I became a child of God from that day forward. And yes, God breathed into my spirit the spirit of God and I became alive to God. His spirit joined with my spirit and declared me to be a child of God. And I was sanctified in Christ, justified in his eyes, made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The middle wall was torn down. I was welcomed into the household of God, and not as a stranger, as a foreigner, not as a Gentile dog, but I became a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus at eight years of age. And so with this same process, we by faith believe and we receive. Well, let me tell you today, that very same faith that God deals to every man, the capacity to believe, we receive salvation. Thank God for it. I'm saved today, aren't you? And I celebrate it. However, not only does that same faith that I use to receive salvation, it's the same measure of faith that I use to receive the blessing of God in my life. I don't know about you, but I believe that I can live in the blessing of God. I can live in the good land of Goshen. I can walk in the favor of God. There's nothing between me and God that hinders God in blessing me except for faith. I must exhibit it in his eyes because faith moves God. I'm preaching way better than you are shouting today. But I'm all right with that because I want you to become a man or a woman of faith. I want you to learn to live by faith, walk by faith. We've seen so much confliction in the word of faith movement. What happened? A movement within Pentecostalism right in the main vein of Pentecostalism began to emerge right out of the teaching of our historic root of Pentecostalism called the word of faith. And the word of faith was right and it was accurate but it became distorted somewhere along the way. And we lost sight of the true balance of the Word of Faith movement. And we began to be caught up in uh, just the, 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 the culture and where everything was just about reaching a certain uh, level of success 
and a house or a car or monetary gain, all those things which are good. And somehow we took it, and for whatever reason, we in the Pentecostal movement now, we've walked all the way on the other side where we have not even taught our believers, our church family, how to walk in faith. Let me tell you, God wants every one of us to learn to be men and women that believe and that learn to trust Him and that we trust the Lord for the good things of God in our life and we're believing God. Faith is the means to salvation. It's the means to receiving the blessing of God. I hear the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. Did y'all hear that? I hear the Word and I believe the Word and by faith I receive the promise. With my mouth I confess the promises of God. By faith, I believe in Jesus. By faith, I learn to believe like Jesus. Let me say that one more time. By faith, I believe in Jesus, but not only do I believe in Jesus, I learn to believe like Jesus. I believe in his teaching and his doctrine. Jesus was grieved over unbelief. As I've said, he reproved it, he challenged it, and he corrected it. Jesus told the distraught. Remember this, par- this passage of Scripture when there was a man that was coming to Jesus. He had been up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John called the Mount of Transfiguration. And he came back down to, and he found that there was a little commotion amongst his disciples and the crowd that was gathered there. And he asked what was going on. And the disciples, it was made known to him that there was a distraught father that had brought his son to the disciples because his son was tormented by a devil. And this devil was violent. This devil would try to kill him in the fire or kill him in the water when he would pass by water. And, and, and they brought the child to Jesus that he would cast him out and the deci- that they would cast this devil out. And the Bible says they couldn't cast him out. And Jesus was grieved. And he said, oh, faithless generation. Who was he grieved at? The people? The disciples? The father? I'm not sure. He was grieved. He said, bring the boy to me. When they were bringing the young boy to Jesus, the devil tore him one more time. That's another message altogether. It's because the enemy knows when he's about to be dislodged. And he will fight even harder to stay right where he's at. And that's why you've got to continue to press. See, the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violent. And there's a tar- part of your faith can be passive. And there's a part of your faith when you can just be quiet and subdued. But there's got to be a part of you that pulls that, come on back and say, you know what, it's time to step forward and lift up my voice and declare the promises of God. And when Jesus saw what was going on and that devil tore him one more time, the father cried out with tears. And he said, Lord, help us. If you can do anything, he said, help us. And here's what Jesus said to him. He said, if you can believe then all things are possible. Don't let any theologian take that out of your heart today. With God, all things are possible. Let me tell you what you will never, if you're a child of God, let me tell you what you will never be in. You will absolutely never be in this situation. You know what's called? Hopeless. You will never be there because if you're a child of God, walking in the covenant blessings of God, then there's always hope. You could get up every day saying today could be the day. When I see the manifestation of what God's promised in my life. And so Jesus rebuked the devil and delivered the young boy. Now remember what Jesus taught us in Mark chapter 11. It's the famous faith passage. But listen, it was being quoted just a few moments ago. Mark eleven twenty two 22 says, have faith in God. I didn't say have faith in your faith. Exercise your faith. But the object of your faith is God. You recognize you don't have the power. He's got the power. But you're trusting in him. Amen? Now listen to what Jesus said. For, now think about what we read in Romans a moment ago. 
And then we're going to tie this together here in just a moment and see if we can. But think about what he said. For in Romans, it says, With the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made to where? To salvation. Now listen to what Jesus said. Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you. Who's that? I don't know if it, it's me. I'll tell you what, it's me. It may not be you today. It's me. Lee Brown's going to receive this. He said this to me. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whatever's your mountain, he said, be removed and be cast in the sea. And do what? And shall not doubt where? In your heart. Don't doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he, what? Which he what? Say it with me. Which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall. Man, that's a good word right there. That puts faith in my heart just reading it and listening to it, hearing it being read in the house of God today. I believe that not only do we have faith in Christ, we pray to receive the faith of Christ and that we walk in faith and we demonstrate or display our faith by believing. We believe and we receive. And I wrote an addendum to my notes this morning when I was meditating on this message. I believe that it brings God glory when you and I walk in faith. You want to you bring God glory? As a child of God, that's what I want to do, don't you? I want to bring the Lord glory. I started this service off by saying, give the Lord the glory that he so richly deserves. You want to bring God glory? Then stop walking in unbelief. Start believing what he said. Start trusting him in every situation in your life. Repent of your unbelief. Confess it. When you speak a word that's negative, when you speak a word of unbelief, immediately the Spirit of God will convict your heart. And the moment that the Spirit of God convicts your heart, you pull that down in Jesus' name. Or you pluck that up like a seed or a weed that's been sown in your field that doesn't belong there. So that you can speak only what you believe. Not what you think. Not what naysayers say. Not what other things that are going around you. Not what even theologians may tell you. But what saith the Word of God. That's what I want to do. I want to speak what God said in his word I want to believe it and I want to speak it and I believe that that brings God glory don't you did you know many well-intended people will try to fill your heart with unbelief let me say that one more time there will be many well-intended people that when you're hoping and believing for something in your life that you know God's promise to you many well-intentioned people will come to you and try to pull it down Try to sow unbelief in your heart. Often the greatest place to congest our faith is in the community of faith in which we worship. We have to guard ourselves. Other believers, theological positions will state this. They will state their belief in why God won't do it or why it's not the will of God or that was for that generation but it's not for us. But you know what I'm going to say today? I'm going to move past that. I want to personally believe the word of God. When I was grafted into the olive tree, let me tell you, church family, let me tell you what I believe a New Testament believer is here today. Let me tell you who I believe that you are in Christ Jesus upon what I've already talked to you about just previously. But let me tell you, I believe that when you got saved, the Bible says you were grafted into the olive tree. What was that olive tree? That olive tree was men and women of faith. We have a heritage of faith that we immediately became a part of. And the Bible says that we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. 
And when I read the narrative of Scripture and I read the Word of God, let me tell you, there's a reason why God wrote these things down in the Word of God and gave them to us. Did you know that there are many precepts and parables of ancient generations that are comparable to things that are in the Word of God? And I can listen to those parables, and they can make sense, but they won't build my faith. Did y'all hear that? I can take, you could take the great learned thinkers of bygone generations, and you can see those parables, and you can see their precepts, and they're comparable to the Word of God. And they will make sense, and they'll sound good, but they won't build faith. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And when I begin to read the Word of God, and I begin to meditate upon the Word of God, and I begin to think about it and muse it over and over in my heart, it ignites something inside of me called faith. And my faith begins to rise within my heart, and I begin to confess, if God said it, I believe it. And if God said it and I believe it, then I will receive it to His own glory and for the good of the people of God. And I believe that we are sons and daughters of Abraham today. The Bible says that Abraham staggered not in unbelief. Many of us stagger in unbelief. Abraham staggered not. He considered not the deadness of his own body, 99 years of age, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he believed that what God had promised, he would perform, and God gave him a son. And you know who you and I are today? We are sons and daughters of Abraham, men and women of faith, who believe God for what the world says is impossible. It's not naturally possible, but with God, all things are possible to him that will believe. Don't let anybody rob you of your rightful place of being a man and a woman of faith, becoming who God's called you to be. Many theologians take the narrative of Scripture, and I'm going to close in just a moment, and they apply the analogy only to salvation. They believe in the Scripture. They believe the intent of the narrative is for you and I to be convinced of our salvation. What are you saying, Pastor Brown? There's a lot of stories in the Word of God, aren't there? I'm calling them narratives. It's a narrative following somebody's life. We read a little passage of it, and I'm going to talk about it in just a second. There are many theologians that will look at those passages, and they believe that every passage there points to salvation. And I believe that. I do. But I believe there's more. I believe there's the fruit of salvation equally as well in that passage. Let me take you into it just a little bit. I believe that those scriptures and that narrative is there to inspire us. You believe that today? Come on, somebody, amen. You believe that today? It's there to inspire you to do what? Not to just have a good little, you know, I, I, try to, I, I read my stories with my children when, I, when they were small. I'd get in the bed with them. We'd open up the Bible and we'd read these, these stories. And, 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 and I love it when I see other parents doing the same thing and teaching each other. They're not just there for us to pass this, this history. They're there to teach us that when we are in the most difficult days of our life, With God, all things are possible. Come on, somebody. Amen. And this passage here today, I tell you what, I believe with God, all things are possible. You know what I believe today? I'm just foolish enough to believe that axe heads can float. Did you hear that today? Yeah, I'm just one of those wacky, way out there, word of faith preachers caught up in the Pentecostal movement 
that hopefully has the balance of both and exercises in front of the church family. I just believe that with God, I'm telling you, there's nothing beyond the scope of my God's strength and grace and his arm and that even things that people say, it's no way, it's not scientifically possible, it's not humanly possible, there's no way, the world doesn't function that way. The weighted metal together is going to sink to the bottom, it's not going to float. Pastor, that's full. No, I tell you what, I just believe they're going to float. I just believe axe heads are going to float. And so I read this passage of Scripture about Elisha. And I just it burned in my spirit as I was reading it because there's no historical purpose for it in the Word of God. Why is it there? Unless it's there to generationally encourage us. It's not historical. It's not military. It's not even deeply spiritual as it relates to what some of the things that were happening in the days of Elisha. Everybody remembers Elisha the prophet, don't you? Can I tell you who he was just real quickly? He was a servant. He was out plowing the field when this aged prophet that had been on the mountain in the presence of God called Elijah came down from the mountain with the presence of God and he walked by him and he took what's called a mantle and he hit Elisha. And Elisha stopped when he did. He was plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. And the man of God put the call of God on him and Elisha stopped what he was doing right there. He was going to be a farmer. He was going to follow in the footsteps of the many generations in front of him of farming. But when that mantle fell on him, he felt the power of God come into his life and the call of God. And you know what he did? He stopped and he killed the oxen and he took the plow and he made a fire and he offered it in sacrifice to God. And then he began to walk around behind an old man and he poured water on his hands when his hands were dirty. He went and got his clothes when he needed new clothes. He helped and get in bed at night. He walked with him day after day after day until a fateful day when Elijah has got a revelation from God that he's going to go up into heaven in a whirlwind and Elijah tells Elisha and Elisha says, I just got one request and that one request is a double portion of your spirit would fall upon me. Elijah said, I can't promise you that but I'm just going to tell you that if you see me go, then God's going to honor your request. And the Bible says while they were walking along the banks of the Jordan River, a chariot of fire suddenly exploded in the eastern sky and rushed right over the top of them and Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and when he did, he disappeared into the clouds and a mantle fell back down on the ground in front of he who had been a servant and he walked over and he picked up the mantle and he folded it up and he walked back to the banks of the Jordan River where the water was flowing freely and he said these words he said where is the Lord God of Elijah and he took the mantle and he struck the water and when he did the waters backed up this way and the waters backed up that way and Elisha walked through on dry ground and the power of God was on his life from that day forward Man, I believe that today. Thank God. We are in that heritage of faith. One day during this time, there's a lot of apostasy in the land. This is in the days, in the closing days of Ahab's dynasty in the northern kingdom. And there's been apostasy. So the religion is tainted. The wall's been drawn, or the line's been drawn. They can't go to Jerusalem to worship. So the true worship of Yahweh in the northern kingdom falls to a group of prophets who are following Elisha. It's called the School of the Prophets. Does that make sense here today? Are y'all with me here today? And so they begin to gather in little communities to worship. Elisha becomes their father. Elijah had already started this ministry. Elisha now is the, the, the leader. 
And they approach him one day. They said, you know what? We're, we're, the, our, our meeting place is too small. We can't gather here anymore. Let's go down to the Jordan River. And let's hew wood down there. Let's find us another place and let's place, build us a place where when we all gather together for worship, it'll be, it'll be like a, a church going through a building program. We just need to expand our building a little bit. And so they get down there, and in the process, listen to this, in the process of hewing wood, the Bible gives us a strange narrative that as they're hewing wood, one of the sons of the prophet, that means one of the understudies or the younger associates who is in the prophetic ministry, he's not the prophet, but he's learning from the prophet, has a willing to work. Thank God for ministers that are willing to work. Come on, somebody. I work amongst some hardworking ministers who don't mind putting their hand to the plow and doing whatever they need to do for the good of the kingdom of God. And so this is out there, and he's hewing wood, and when he did, the axe head flew off. And when it did, the waters of the Jordan River had to be really flowing at that time. And it hit a deep pool and disappeared in the murkiness. And when that happened, the Bible says that the young man was distraught because it was borrowed. Now, what you and I don't understand when we just read that, we think to ourselves, oh, my gosh, well, you know what? Can he go down to F.L. Davis's and get another axe head? In that generation, iron instruments were hard to come by. And many times, one person wouldn't have their own, and they had to borrow it from someone else. And what theologians tell us is what that is implying is that if he went back to his friend's house without the, uh, the instrument, that he would have to give himself over to servanthood until he could repay the debt. And so he has a family to take care of, and now he's going to, and so he is distraught. And he comes to the man of God, and he says, man of God, it's borrowed. The man of God said, well, show me where it went in the water. And then he did something strange. He didn't take the axe handle, but he went to a tree, and he broke a limb off of the tree. And when he broke a limb off, he said, tell me where it went in the water. And he went over it, and he cast it into the water. And when he cast it into the water, you know what happened? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Then an iron axe head floated to the surface, and the prophet said, well, there it is. Reach over and take it. And I tell you what, isn't that powerful here today? But, you know, there are theologians that make that totally in the area of salvation. And I believe that because here's what they say. You and I were the indebted son of the prophet. We were without our means to pay. We were in debt to somebody. But Jesus, represented by Elisha, took his cross and cast it into the waters. And that when you and I believe, then when we believe as the axe head floated up to the surface, that's our salvation in Christ. That's not that bad, is it? I thank God for that. I celebrate anything. I couldn't save myself. Right? You couldn't save yourself. It's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are children of God. But I want to go one further than that today. I believe God put that in the Word, seven verses of Scripture, kind of out there that just seem wise it there, so that when you're in a situation in your life that seems hopeless and difficult and challenging, and there are things that are around you that just aren't working, you can have faith rise up on the inside of you that will tell you, you know what? If I believe, axe heads can float. My life can change. Situations around me can change. My job can get better. God can give me a new job. God can lead me to a new place. God can put me in the right relationship. I believe that that's why it's in the Word of God is so that you and I will be challenged to believe. To believe the Word of God today. 
and to trust the Lord that God is for us and he is not against us. Today, I want you to know today that I believe that when Elisha tossed that stick into the water, I believe that church family, that is representative of us of confessing the word of God. But we have to believe what he said. You don't confess to believe. You believe and then you confess what you believe. Does that make sense here today? I put it this way in my notes, and I want to say this as I'm preparing to close right now. I believe today that inanimate objects must succumb to the power of faith. Listen to this as I close. Listen, I believe situations in your life, blessings of God will begin to float to the surface. Come on. I don't know why I'm preaching to such a quiet congregation I maybe not need to go to Nebraska. I guess I go out one week and come back, and y'all forgot y'all are Pentecostal. But let me tell you here today, you'll help the preacher a little bit if you open your mouth a little bit and respond a little bit better. I want to say that to you today. I believe today that there are situations in your life that the blessings of God will begin to float to the surface if you believe. And all you've got to do is reach out and take them by faith in Jesus' name. Let me say it one more time in this context. I believe that there are things that are buried in the streams of life and the only thing that can agitate them from the murk and the mire in which they are placed is your faith that will cause it to rise to the surface. And all of a sudden around you is a change in your life and your family. But let me tell you, it's not going to happen if you don't believe. You can come to church all day long. and You can play the game and smile and join the church and all that. But I'll tell you what, God's moved by faith. You believe him, trust him, and you'll begin to see things begin to rise up around you, and you can take them by faith. I believe axe heads can float. Darrell, you joining me this morning on the platform as I close this message out? I believe axe heads can float, don't you? Do you believe that today? I believe axe heads can float. What does that mean, Pastor? That means there's no situation in your life beyond the ability of God to be able to reach and to minister to you and to bring change and to bring healing, whatever it is. That's between you and God. You work out your own salvation, as Joe preached last week, with fear and trembling. Your axe head may not look like my axe head. Come on. Right, but it's there, buried in the stream. And what's it going to take to dislodge it? You can jump up and down. <laughs> you can cry and weep and come to the pastor and sob and you can pour your soul out and not move God and not dislodge that axe head. But you begin to believe that what God promised, he will perform what he said he meant and what he meant he said. Come on, somebody. And you begin to believe that in your heart and you trust the Lord and you walk differently and you change and you begin to speak differently and your words that you used to sow that were filled with unbelief and doubt and worry and anxiety and now you pluck those things up in Jesus name and you say God I'm going to speak and confess your word what I truly believe about my life about what you said I am who you said I am what I can do God I want to bring you glory how many of you believe that it brought God glory when that axe head floated to the surface and that distressed son of the prophet reached over and took it by faith, put it right back on the axe handle and began to commence his work again. Let me tell you, church family, with God all things are possible. Would y'all stand up with me today?
I want to ask in closing prayer here today.